Hello and welcome to The Stack. This week we speak with Divya Tani, Condé Nast Traveler, Global Editorial Director. We also speak with our very own design editor, Nolan Giles, on Monaco's brand new The Monaco Book of Homes. And Jeremy Leslie from Mac Culture is here to tell us all about his upcoming live event from New York. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Coming up on the show, Monaco's Nolan Giles on the Monaco Book of Homes and Jeremy Leslie from Mac Culture. But first on the show, we feature the latest edition of Condé Nast Traveler and their iconic hot list, exploring everything new in travel. The list is celebrating 25 years. I spoke with Divya Tani, Condé Nast Traveler Global Editorial Director, for more on the issue and plans for the brand this year. Well, I've been at Condé Nast pretty much my entire professional life. It's uh, almost 14 years now that I've been with the company. All those years have been in India. I started out actually at Vogue. So I was the features editor at Vogue for maybe three years. And then uh, we launched, when we were launching Condé Nast Traveler in India, um, I was given the position of editor. It was my very first uh, gig as the editor of a title. And so it was a, a big, big deal for me. And uh, clearly I, I'm still here uh, 10 years later. We just celebrated 10 years of the Indian edition in 2020. So it was quite a quite a strange year to be celebrating a 10th anniversary but um, but yeah so it's been 10 years and it's 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 I'm very proud of what the brand has managed to do here and it's a very small market in India comparatively but we've been able to have a lot of impact so I'm very very proud of the team. I mean it's a small market but still quite important right there was kind of almost a vote of confidence of Condé Nast to head to India uh, especially for Condé Nast Traveler uh, as well so clearly they saw like a, a nice gap in the market. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Indian travel market is um, the second fastest growing travel market in the world after China. So um, it certainly is very important to the travel industry everywhere. Um, and my hope is that after we come out of this year, that those numbers will be back up <laughs> and we'll go back to that uh, being a powerful force in the travel industry. And before we head to the beautiful new issue as well that I have in hand, tell us, I mean, it's, it must be quite challenging as well to do a travel magazine during the pandemic. But at the same time, I think people still want this kind of content, right? Because, I mean, when people are in their homes, I mean, I guess they want to see, I mean, where they go next. Otherwise, otherwise it's all very depressing, I find. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're absolutely bang on, Fernando. We saw in the last one year um, the highest audiences that the brand has ever seen before. It's, uh, it's quite strange and it's almost counterintuitive, but you're right. At a time when travel was taken away from all of us, that seems to be the point in time where everybody was just consumed and obsessed with travel, right? So all they were doing was reading about it online and, and really enjoying even the print editions of the magazine. Um, and I think it really said a lot about where people were in their state of mind. You know, it was, uh, it's so interesting that um, travel has taken on a new space in people's minds in this last one year. It's absolutely top priority 
for people to travel as soon as they can, more so than going out and buying something new. They really want to just spend time with the people that they love in places that are really beautiful and that are out in nature. And so we're seeing a lot of shifts in travel patterns as well in the last year. So it has been a rough year on the industry, no doubt. Um, and I think everyone all around the world had some, had some not so great days. I won't lie about that. But I think that we're really now at a point in time when we're seeing some recovery already taking place. Um, at least in the West. And so we're very optimistic about where travel is headed this year. I think that people really are going to travel more now than ever. It's going to be top priority for them. So uh, we're really happy that we're getting to this stage after the year that we've had. And Divya, of course, I know you have, you always worked with Condenast Traveler India, but tell us now you also have a new title. So you kind of will oversee kind of the global editions as well. Tell us a bit more about that. Yes, so we have a new, it's a new system. It's part of a global transformation that the company has undertaken. So I'm very excited to be the first global editorial director for Condenas Traveler. I have some great um, colleagues as well, whom I think you've had on the show before, including Amy Astley. Um, but really the whole idea of being able to do with a brand that I love, you know, I've loved it for 10 years and, and worked on it for 10 years and the ability to now oversee it all of the editions across the globe is, is so, so exciting for me. I have to say it's, it's a little bit strange as well because I've been here in India ever since I got the job. So I'm dealing with a lot of people that I've never met in person. Um, I suppose that's the new normal, but it's been amazing. And it's been so much learning in the last few months um, between the American edition, the British edition, but also our editions in Europe. Um, and then we have the Middle East and China. So it really is amazing to see the sort of things that all of these audiences have in common across the world and the little ways in which they're also different from each other. But at this point in time, I would say coming out of the pandemic, we probably have more in common now than we've ever had before. So it's a really great and exciting opportunity, I think, to be able to look at all of these different markets and see where we can learn from each other and uh, really just grow the brand in interesting ways. And, and like I said, just the exchange that's happening between all of my colleagues all around the world is really something that's unprecedented and, and the best part of the job so far, I have to say. And of course, the hot list issue, which I know very well, I think it's always such an exciting addition for Condé Nast Traveler. How, how did you guys have to kind of change a little bit the, the list precisely because of all the restrictions we have in this different year? So if you could tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, of course. So the Condé Nast Traveler hot list is, is iconic. It's iconic all around the world. And in fact, in the US, it celebrates 25 years this year. And I think what was really important for all of us um, this year, Fernando, is that we had to address the fact that travel has changed in the last one year. So while we looked at the things that we normally look at, of course, which is everything from, you know, the beautiful design of the hotels and, and the food and, and uh, you know, the amenities and all of those other things that we look at when we judge the best new hotels around the world, we looked a little bit deeper this year and we had an additional lens on it when we chose these hotels. Um, and really we were looking at hospitality from a slightly larger perspective because the past year has been so difficult and the hospitality industry around the world really has come out as an amazing force 
for good. They really have opened up their doors and helped people while they were undergoing, uh, you know, tremendous change and, and uh, you know, and hardships of their own. And I think that it really, I guess if you had to say in one word, I would say resilience was sort of the, the word that we were really looking at. And we found that the hotels that we were now talking to this year, um, they all have a certain sense of soul about them. There's something about all of these hotels coming out of the year that they have, they've really taken these values to their hearts. And so for many of them, the kinds of things that they've now put into practice, and of course, for many of them, they were thinking about these things even before, but, but you'll find that all of the hotels on the list now really reflect the way in which our audiences now want to travel. So there's a greater sense for them of being more responsible in the travel industry. Sustainability is a very, very important thing for all of these hotels. There's a great focus on wellness retreats, for example, or from being in destinations that are immersed in nature, you know, and in a very responsible fashion. Um, and then I think also just places that really focus on slowing down. I think that's what a lot of our travelers are looking for now is the chance just to immerse themselves in a place, make it authentic. They're not jumping from one place to the next and trying to cross things off of a bucket list or anything like that. They really want to go in deep and experience something that's very, very authentic. And that also is, is you know, rejuvenative. And it, it falls more into the space of regenerative travel and responsible travel. So you'll find that a lot of the hotels that we've chosen really do embody all of these different factors and aspects. And that's what makes this list, I think, the most exciting list we've probably ever done. I totally agree with you about the kind of the people now they want to travel to immerse themselves instead of just being two days here, three days there. Do you know what I mean? I think exactly. I totally agree. And Divya, I mean, what about you? I mean, when you can travel, is there a place in your mind that you really want to go right now? <laughs> Oh gosh, it depends on the day that you ask me. I think every day it seems to change a little bit, but I'm, I'm very much, I think I'm very much in line with our audiences. I think all I can think about right now is being really out in nature. Um, it's very, very hot at the moment where I am in India. <laughs> uh, it's the peak of the summer. And so I would love to be in the mountains somewhere. I would love to be in, in Kashmir or in Switzerland or, or just somewhere very, very beautiful in, in Italy, um, the Dolomites. There's such, and of course, the fact that we're working on the hot list, let me tell you, just makes me dream of different places all the time that, that I'd really like to go. I'm, I'm so fascinated by some of the new hotels that we're talking about in the list. One of them is called the Montage Heraldsburg in California and it's in Sonoma. And it really, really celebrates the landscape of that region. It was built amongst, you know, 22,000 live oaks that are in place. There's 130 rooms, but they're all slightly raised um, so that they lessen how much they disturb the land. Everything you eat is sourced from, you know, within the area, within just miles of the property. So that's a place that I've really been, been thinking about a lot since I read about it, um, since our editors wrote about it. Um, and then I would say there's another little place called the Birch which is only 30 minutes from you actually, where you are at the moment, Fernando, from London. Um, and it's amazing. It's this you know, lovely little place, 30 minutes from the city and really gives you a chance to slow down. It has a pottery studio. It has you know, glass blowing workshops. You can learn beekeeping. <laughs> I mean, it's really talking about slowing down and, and really just being able to rejuvenate yourself. And, and I think those are the kinds of places that a lot of us are gonna be looking forward to heading to. 
That was Diviatani, and the latest issue of Condenas Traveler is out now. And the Monocle team has a new book out, The Monocle Book of Homes, a guide to exceptional residents worldwide, including a converted cottage on an Australian island to a contemporary boat hole in the middle of Jakarta. To tell us more about the book, no one better than Monocle's design editor, Nolan Giles. Obviously, it's very topical at the moment, homes in general, because we've spent so much time living in them during the pandemic. So it's a, it's a nice time to release a book that really kind of celebrates what good home design is all about. So, you know, Fernando, we, we always cover residential architecture in the magazine. Uh, every, almost every issue, you know, we try to explore a beautiful residence. We maybe look at, you know, a new housing project, something around sustainability, something around building a better neighborhood through good residential architecture. So we have all these ideas and we have all these great stories and content. And we just thought, you know, now is a perfect time to kind of combine that uh, into one whole piece, add some new elements in there, really, you know, hone in on what makes a great home, what makes a cozy home, what makes a place that you want to spend time in and feel safe and secure in and package it up into this, this beautiful book that you're, you've got in front of you. Well, and while you're flicking through one ingredient that I found, I mean, that there's not a single house that is sterile, if you know what I mean. All of them, actually, I could imagine myself living there. They are houses that, are, that people can use. And I think that's one of the elements that a house must have to be in the book, right? For sure. It's really interesting because I received so many press releases from, uh, you know, PR companies showcasing, you know, the latest, greatest interior designers uh, overhaul of a house. But actually, a lot of these places when they're, you know, designed, they don't really uh, reflect the owners, the people living in them. So the, the, the places that we seek out and the residents that we've showcased in this book a really, you know, re true reflection of the owners. We decide to choose these houses because the great personalities of the people that live in them are really well reflected in the place. And it's really interesting, you know, I I've reported quite a lot of these uh, stories myself. And often it is an architect who's involved and it's a collaboration between the architect and the homeowners. And when we're talking about the, the house, it's often, you know, the owners and the architect, we sit down at the table and it's such an emotional process. These people are so invested in the project. You can really tell that everyone has cared so much about every single detail of the house. And yeah, I think it really shows in the pages of the book. And I love, of course, now the world is opening up a little bit more. We're starting to do actually a few events. I know you had one in Zurich and next week there'll be a, an event here in London for some of our kind of readers and people interested in the book. How, how has it been the reaction? Is it nice kind of to chat with the people, you know, going, uh, asking a few questions about the book and everything? For sure. So we have events at Midori House in London on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And the reason that these conversations are so much fun is because it's something that applies to everyone. You know, you, you can create a book about, I don't know, timber architecture, or you can create a book about, you know, something that's not so specific. But with homes, everyone has one, essentially. So it's something that we all think about, it's something that we take pride in or maybe not take pride in. And that's why having these conversations and getting people to really think, you know, yes, I live in a home, but maybe I'm, I didn't really want to spend that much money on that piece of furniture. But actually, during the pandemic, I realized, 
You know, if I don't have a super comfortable chair to sit down in at the end of a workday or if I'm stuck on a stool at a table trying to use that as a desk, you know, it's uncomfortable. So we're in this amazing position uh, where people have really considered the home over the last year and how to make it better. And we've released this book that hopefully tells them how to do it. And as usual, it's a, you know, it feels like you're traveling around the world because it's quite an international uh, book. So there's different types of homes as well, which are quite nice. And you've, as you say, you reported in some of them as well, right? For sure. It's super international. You know, we go from my hometown of Brisbane to the, the, the hills and the mountains of South Tyrol in Italy, through to South America, up to the USA. I mean, there's definitely not a continent that's not covered in the book. And I think, Faye, because your show is all about the printed page, maybe we should just talk about how, uh, how we've brought this life in terms of the pages and the imagery, because we do use uh, a few different stocks in the book. There's a really beautiful, glossy paper that we use to showcase the homes themselves. We have a big chapter at the front, and it's just, you know, a walk through all of these amazing homes. That's kind of on a glossy stock. And then when we go into the, the back of the book, we're, we're talking in a little bit more detail about things like how to do a good garden, what furniture you should buy. So that's more of a matte stock. And super exciting, the first ever Monocle book that has a, a dust jacket on it, which I was a little bit worried about. I wasn't sure how it was going to look, but it's come back from the printers and it's absolutely fabulous. I mean, that's the kind of details that everybody needs to know, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> and Nolan, if, if I may ask just one more question, because, I mean, you are a very busy man and, and I know you also have been to Venice something completely different. The newspapers of Monocle are also back. I mean, the stack listener will be crazy now. It's so exciting. It was, you know, it's amazing producing a newspaper. And um, yeah, we haven't done one for a while. I, I believe the last one we did was maybe the Salone paper in 20, God, 2019. There weren't any papers in 2020. But the process of creating this newspaper, it's, it's on such a different pace to the, um, the magazine. You know, we knew the Biennale was coming up. We weren't 100% sure it was going to happen. The people involved with the Biennale weren't, you know, fully ready or fully finished. So we had about two weeks to kind of report this, to organize photo shoots there. And then the best thing is, you know, we have a, a week of producing, you know, producing the magazine in terms of laying it out and putting it on the pages, fact checking everything, sub editing everything, working on a cover. And then we press print, essentially. And the next day, you know, they're delivered to Venice from our printer in Bolzano. And I just love that immediacy. It's, it's something very different to doing a magazine. It's, it feels like you can really change things on the front cover and then the next day, you know, you've got it in your hand and it's perfect. So it's a lovely project to work on. We will be doing another one for Milan Design Week in September and, and hopefully more as well in the future. The Monocle Book of Homes is out now. And if you're in London this coming week, we'll be celebrating the launch of the book. For tickets, check out monocle.com. And finally on the show, Jeremy Leslie from Mac Culture is here to tell us all about his upcoming event on the 9th of June, Mac Culture Live. And the theme of the talks is We Love New York. The city is home to the best magazines out there. And the lineup of the event includes Françoise Mouly, art director of The New Yorker, to Caitlin Thompson from Racket Magazine. Here is Jeremy with more. In the English-speaking world, there are two big capitals of, of publishing and print and and they are London where we are now and New York these are the two big uh, English language uh, capitals and um, they both have a long print tradition 
uh, long magazine tradition. And despite the travails of the industry, they both are still very strongly involved with it. Oh, and I think it's wonderful. Of course, you had uh, one Mac coach alive in New York before, but it's wonderful that I know there's still a lot of travel restrictions, but the event will go ahead and I've seen the lineup. I mean, it's a pretty strong one as well. So tell us a bit more. It's, it's happening in June, right? Uh, it is, yeah. I mean, we've actually, um, I think we've done seven of the Mag Culture Lives in London. We've actually done two in New York now, live. And obviously, we'd love to be in New York this year doing a live presentation, but it's not possible for obvious reasons, just as it wasn't possible last year. So instead, we are doing another online event. But um, whereas normally we try and combine elements of New York with elements of London and Europe, this time, you know, I, I, I love New York and I, I'm, I'm missing New York. So this time we're just doing it. It's subtitled We Love New York and it's a celebration of New York publishing. Uh, so we've got we've got uh, representatives um, joining us from very big magazines and some very small magazines and everything in between. And I hope it'll feel a little bit like we're visiting New York. I think it's wonderful. And I, I agree. I, I feel the New York so strong. And you know what I like about New York? And we're going to talk about one of your guests. They still have very iconic magazines there, New York magazines there, The New Yorker. And one of your guests is uh, Françoise uh, Mouly, right? She's the art editor of The New Yorker. I think it's fantastic because it's, it's, an, it's such a publication associated to the city. But I mean, here in London, we all, I mean, there's, there are many kind of New Yorker lovers here as well. Well, yeah, for me, the, the New Yorker is, um, it's more of a, it's for people who have that kind of New York state of mind rather than in New York. Uh, necessarily living in New York, but um, and it's certainly it's not it's not a magazine solely about New York, but I do think it's it's a magazine that is you know I'm often asked what is my favourite magazine and, and and I sort of think people expect me to propose some really obscure new indie, but actually I always come back to the New Yorker because I think you know the the breadth of coverage that it offers it's just a fantastic magazine and it is the in every sense it's the epitome of 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 great publishing um talent and and ability and 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 it delivers every time but i'm particularly excited to have francoise join us she's the art editor but actually i mean her her responsibility is solely the covers and one of the unique things about the new yorker it has many unique things but one of the prime ones is the way the front covers are standalone stories they don't refer to anything necessarily inside they are just you know it might be uh, they're always illustrated of course as you know but they, the, the illustration might refer to the fact that spring is coming or it might refer to the fact that it's valentine's day but it might also be a really really cutting piece of satire to do with the news of the day and coming off the back of, of the trump presidency and the, the pandemic they've had some really really powerful covers over the last year so i'm very excited to be speaking uh, well be hearing from her about her working process and i don't know about you jeremy but sometimes i do pick up a magazine just because of the cover uh, and, and that made me think about another one of your guests uh, caitlin thompson from racket magazine and it's interesting uh, you know what i'm not a big you know tennis connoisseur but you know her magazine is just so wonderful and he kind of managed to attract this kind of audience, perhaps people that don't know much about tennis, you know, but they still appreciate a beautiful title. Yeah, I mean, we've, yeah, we've done quite a lot of things with Caitlin before. And, and I think the, the magazine is a, is a fabulous example of the independent press and how it explains. It's a fabulous example of the independent press and how it can kind of communicate beyond its obvious 
constituency of course it's for people that like tennis but it's in a way it's a bit like it's for you know we're we're in in, in britain here and and tennis only happens for two weeks every year during wimbledon and that's there's a lot of people like that with tennis who aren't really really deeply involved but love the a certain part of it and I think this magazine addresses that it's it's about the broader culture of tennis it's not just uh, the stars and the and the statistics and who won what it's 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 the fashion and and the more the, the cultural uh, position that tennis holds in, in in our hearts and I think it's you know and, and between the two of them between the New Yorker and racket I think you've got two great examples of the two different ends of the spectrum of what we're trying to cover and you know Finally, if you just, you know, perhaps mention briefly some of the other guests and, and if a stack listener would like, you know, to be involved, to buy a ticket, I mean, what's the best way? I, I guess it's via uh, magculture.com. Uh, yes, yes. Tickets are available from the website, very clearly indicated, I hope. It's a three-hour Zoom webinar. Um, at the moment, we've got five speakers. We're still looking to add another one and there's some little surprises along the way. But the other, um, as well as Francois Mouly from The New Yorker, Caitlin Thompson from Racket, we've got um, uh, Lucas Mascatello, who's the, uh, one of the people behind Civilization, uh, which is a fantastic example of a kind of uh, a very contemporary New York publication. Lavelle Levette, who's the president of Ebony, uh, she recently published a beautiful book of the front covers of that magazine from the last 75 years, and it Strictly speaking, uh, they're not a New York magazine, but it's uh, it just seemed too too uh, good an opportunity to not to involve her and look back at, at how that magazine has covered black culture for the last um, 75 years. And it's amazing looking at the front covers and realizing that so many of the issues that we all face in terms of, uh, well, people of color face today have been the same problems from the last 75 years. And then lastly, but by no means least, we have Kim uh, Hastreiter, who uh, people might know, uh, Paper Magazine and the Kim Kashadian cover that uh, broke the internet. She launched and ran Paper for many years, but she sold that a while back and she's just launched a, during the pandemic, she launched a new publication called The New Now. And it's a fascinating um, conversation with her about what she's up to. So it's a, it's a real range of different speakers and, and, and different types of projects and as you say the tickets are available on magculture.com it takes place it's wednesday the 9th of june so about 10 days time join us fantastic i'm sure a lot of people uh, here will i mean because they love magazines and of course i want to ask as well you know you have other projects always going on i mean how is the shop doing how's magculture doing uh, i always follow kind of your website and i know you keep adding new titles which is amazing uh, well there's always new magazines coming uh, coming along uh, so and then that's that continued all through the the lockdown and pandemic we managed to stay open for click and collect and we um completely relaunched our website so that the the, the web sales and online sales have increased uh, considerably so we've been keeping going but now you know for the last i guess month or so maybe maybe longer we've been open to, to customers again and that's been fantastic it's been really reassuring to see a lot of old friends a lot of regulars coming back and just just enjoying being in a shop that isn't a supermarket you know <laughs> being able to browse and spend time uh, it's been really it's just i mean it's, it's it's designed as a public space and it's been lovely having the public back so things are good that was jeremy leslie and for more information about the event check out macculture.com well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Nora Hall. And if you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fp at monaco.com. 
And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, you can always listen to it again at monaco.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. And before we go, a little song for you. Tiga, Far From Home. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Yeah.